This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. This episode of This Week in HPC is brought to you by DDN, the leader in parallel storage and data management for AI, big data, and HPC use cases at scale. Visit ddn.com. Dell AMD relationship gets more serious. Happy Exascale Day. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening in to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. I'm Addison Snell, coming off a bit of a cold and not in my normal radio voice, but happy to be doing the news again with my colleagues Tiffany Trader and John Russell of HPC Wire. We didn't want to miss the news this week. And John, This Week in HPC, that starts with a new blog from Dell, and it seems like they're getting a little more serious with AMD. Absolutely. So AMD came out with this Rome line in August. It's their seven nanometer CPU. Um, in September, Dell announced it would um, take the Rome line and use it in uh, a series of servers. I think there are, there are five. And not long after, um, it introduced this blog series. Uh, I love the, uh, the title, um, AMD Rome, Is It For Real? And, uh, and apparently they think it is because they've also invested in an internal cluster they're calling Minerva. And it's at their um, their innovation and AI lab, and they're using that to do the evaluation. But um, together, those two things suggest a new eye, perhaps, from Dell um, on the AMD Epic line. Rome, of course, being the latest version of that. And I will look at the uh, the results if you like. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get to those results. And you're right. This is interesting. We were talking about Dell having always been such a strong Intel partner. Now, of course, they're offering these Dell AMD Epic Rome parts. And I love the focus on benchmarking here. Now, you mentioned this 64-node Minerva cluster. What do we know about this? Uh, Dell's had this HPC and AI Innovation Lab as a great resource for doing application testing and HPC benchmarking. Do we have more specifics about the Minerva cluster? You know, we don't have a whole lot. We pieced together a few of the details from the blog, um, but it seems to be a 64 node uh, based on um, PowerEdge C6525. But it's a standard uh, PowerEdge server offering, um, and this one has uh, 128 Epic chips. It looks like they're the 7452, and that's a 32 core chip. But beyond that, really, there's not a whole lot of information we have. Um, Interestingly, that that PowerEdge C6525, um, it can accommodate two GPUs, and those are not named in the product spec, which um, isn't unusual, but it's it's interesting to wonder if um, if Dell will offer an AMD option there. Typically, it's an NVIDIA GPU, but uh, right now, that's that's not called out. But So we don't know a lot. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty good-sized machine, uh, and that's what they were using to, uh, to look at the, uh, these benchmarks. I'll tell you what I like most about this blog is it's clearly written by the application engineering team. This has not been polished by anyone in marketing, and I kind of love that. I mean, we get the outputs of their LS Topo to show the configurations of the servers that we're dealing with, and uh, and that helps set up the context around these benchmarks. So let's talk about some of the specifics there about what kind of performance they're getting. Well, they looked at... And really, memory I.O. and efficiency generally, um, with a little bit of a focus on NUMA architecture. I mean, we all know the uh, non-uniform non memory access is such an important piece of the HPC world. Uh, certainly, the applications in HPC tend to use it. So um, so the, uh, the benchmarks were around that, and uh, they did some spelling out of how NUMA can be implemented in the new uh, Rome series. 
Naples, which was the prior uh, line, also was able to do NUMA. The newer uh, Rome has, I think it's three different configurations. One, where all the cores are used in a single NUMA domain. Uh, a, a second one in which you can have two um, sets of cores, uh, so two different NUMA, uh, NUMA domains. And then finally, you can have four NUMA domains. So there's a certain amount of flexibility in the chip. And they looked at um, you know, how, what kind of performance can we get uh, through these, these chips um, with various benchmarks. The first one was the stream triad benchmark, which I think you know a little bit about. Yeah, I love the emphasis that we're seeing on stream triad in terms of looking at what the real memory performance is of these processors. We started seeing it come up a lot with regards to ARM, which delivers a lot of memory bandwidth for the for the per flops for that chip. And now we're seeing it with AMD as well. So the emphasis on stream triad. I also like this discussion of the NUMA architecture. Now, this is something that they've had in previous processors like Naples, but this is the first time we've talked about it with respect to, to Rome, that you can have these different NUMA settings on the chip. So looking at uh, Stream Triad is a great complement to Linpack. And uh, what do we have for the results? So not surprisingly, the, uh, you know, the results are versus Naples, and it looks, um, you know, they're strong. The, uh, from 64-core, 32-core, and even 24-core, the Rome chip, you know, is in that 9 to sort of 14%, 17% superior. So you're getting good, uh, good performance from the benchmark to start. They were saying that it was five to 18, 90% better, general, generally speaking. But, um, but yes, yeah, strong performance again for the, uh, for the Rome, the Rome product. They were also showing that in general for these benchmarks, they were getting a lot better performance in this mode of NPS4, which is the four different NUMA domains across the chip, as opposed to just the single or two NUMA domains that they did better when it was subdivided farther. Now, that makes a lot of sense to me with things like Linpack and Stream Triad, where you don't have a lot of data dependency. I wonder a little bit if we did something like a CFD benchmark or weather simulation if you'd be better off with the larger NUMA domain. And uh, I can be hopeful that this is something that the HPC and AI Innovation Lab at Dell will will eventually take a look at. Now, they had Linpack performance there as well, and that included some pretty good uh, scalability or efficiency at larger numbers of nodes. Tiffany, you were taking a look at Linpack as well. Yeah, they 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 showed some of the Linpack numbers, and they showed uh, that running across the, the whole 64 nodes, of this uh, Power Power Edge cluster, Power Edge C6525 cluster, that they achieved about. They don't show you exactly the exact number, but you can you can you can tell by looking at the uh, the the Y bar. Um, looks like about 145 teraflops, uh, and they they said 94% limpack efficiency. So I did some of the the flops math for for the the cluster on my own. Um, and as John said, it, it has 128 of the Epic 7452 CPUs across the 64 nodes. Uh, so these are the these are the 32 core, 155 watt. Um, they got a base frequency of 2.35 gigahertz uh, max boost up to 3.35. And um, doing the math on all that, you can you can come up with the peak flops. The peak flops at base is 154 teraflops. And then at boost would be uh, 220, 219.5. So if you divide, if you do the math anyway, you come out with the same number, <laughs> you can check their math. They, 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 uh, you get that 94% efficiency, which is a, a really good efficiency number. 
That is good. And we're seeing these scores up in the 90s. Uh, this is with an HDR 100 uh, gigabit InfiniBand speed. And, and we have seen InfiniBand clusters get up there. So I find that to be impressive, but also credible. John, did you have any final takeaways either about the Linpack or the blog in general? It seems like this is going to be the first of a, of a series. Well, two things. Um, they, they they call it out as a series and, and, and say, stay tuned because more to come. And to your point earlier, they talk uh, specifically about a variety of applications that they will benchmark. And, you know, uh, Fluid Dynamics is one. You know, there are several that uh, will be interesting to see how an application actually performs on this. So, um, so stay tuned, I guess, is really what they're saying. And the other thing, of course, is it does indicate a, uh, a strengthening embrace, perhaps, of AMD. Yeah, and what I'm hoping for is not only to see that kind of application benchmarking, but if they're releasing these kinds of results on Epic and they also do anything similar on Xeon or other kinds, kinds of configuration, it could be a sort of comparative benchmarking, even if those are in separate papers, would be a huge service to the community. So something I can hope that we might see it going forward from the Dell HPC and AI Innovation Lab. Now, going over to our other story this week in HPC is at the opposite end of scalability. Happy Exascale Day. 10 to the 18th is October 18th is National Exascale Day. And there was a webinar to celebrate it. Tiffany, you covered this in your story on HPC Wire. 10 to the 18th, it, it's been sitting right there. October 15th was sitting there. No, nobody picked it up, um, but it was too good. It was too good not to run with. And now we see we see uh, Cray and um, the DOE and the Exascale folks uh, running with this. Uh, kind of a kind of a marketing thing, but it's, it's pretty fun. So last Friday they held their what they're calling their first annual National Exascale Day, hosted by Cray. Um, now uh, part of the H, HPE company, uh, the Exascale Computing Project. Um, and the DOE labs, Argonne, Oak Ridge, and Lawrence Livermore, the, these are the labs all getting ready to host the first exascale supercomputers uh, starting in, in late 2021. And of course, all three of these machines will be built by Cray, utilizing their Shasta architecture, as well as the Slingshot Interconnect and, and new software platform. So you had all these leaders in, in exascale coming together to host uh, the first exascale day. They had a, a nice discussion over the course of the one-hour webinar covering a lot of wide-ranging topics having to do with Exascale and why it's good. Not a lot of it was really brand new to us, but still a nice feel-good event spanning people like uh, Rick Stevens from Argonne, Doug Cothy of uh, Oak Ridge and the ECP, Mike McCoy from Livermore was on, Jeff Nichols from Oak Ridge, and then, of course, Steve Scott from Cray was on the call as well. And they covered a lot of topics and had some interesting things things to say. Yeah, so you know, we're looking at this 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 coming horizon, um, you know, maybe maybe sometime around now next year. Um, so it's a, it's a good time to kind of stop and look back and take stock of of the progress that's been made and if you look back over the last 40 50 years, it's basically seen the rise from going from megaflops to to almost exaflops um, and that's uh, that's a trillion fold speed up if you look at the you know, the first commercial supercomputer, the Cray-1, uh, going back to 1976, that was at about the 160 megaflop um, level, a cost of $8.8 .8 million. And now we have uh, Aurora um, expected to go into Argonne uh, at the end of 2021. And then, you know, maybe offering about an exaflops. We're not sure yet if that's peak or like Limpac, um, but somewhere around a cost of uh, $600 million for that machine. You make a really good point with regard to this level of scale. It gets to where these 
different prefixes and every new power of a thousand that we leap up gets harder to conceive of. We're up to quintillion, which people don't really have a, a good feel for. But if you talk about it being a trillion million or a million 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 or a billion billion, all of these things wind up at at a quintillion. And it's an it's an awful lot of uh, of of computing power, awful, also an awful lot of power consumption. Power consumption came up as a topic on the call. Yeah, power was a topic. I mean, we heard all, all of these leaders and, and um, leaders moving the X scale, moving X scale forward. Uh, really, not a lot new, like you said, but a lot of interesting comments were made. Um, yeah, one of the points was about the the power wall and and what a difficult thing that is. As as you, as we as we all know, that DARPA had initially set the opening exascale power. Um, target at 20 megawatts. Uh, I think you once commented that the first person to get to exascale will be the one most willing to, to spend money on power. Um, that uh, envelope has now been relaxed to about to 40 megawatts. They're ho they're hoping to come in at 30, but the 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 ECPRFP specifies a, a outside target of 40. Um, so yeah, power efficiency is a is a first class concern. You know, they noted that um, it's been a driver behind GPUs. I noted in my story that. The, the the top 10 greenest supercomputers, all the, the top 10 systems on the green 500 list all use accelerators. Uh, nine out of 10 of those uh, are, use GPU accelerators. And uh, Jeff Jeff Nichols, the uh, associate laboratory director at Oak Ridge, you know, he was saying that, you know, up until now, it's been the power line has been held reasonably flat going from Jaguar to Titan, both GPU systems. And then even going to Summit, they got this 10x boost with fairly flat uh, power consumption and that that, that flat, flatness isn't holding, it's it's not going to hold at exascale. So the transition from Summit to Frontier, that brings it from 13 up to 30 or possibly 40, like I said, and at roughly $1 million, $1 million per megawatt cost annually, that's 30 megawatts. Um, 30 megawatts translates into about $30 million a year power bill. So it's, um, it's just not going to, something that's not going to be sustainable. And, you know, that, that point was made by, by all the participants. Well, and I think my favorite comment that came during the entire call came from crazed Steve Scott when they were joking about getting to Zeta scale and having uh, October 21st be a Zeta scale day. That's the next power of a thousand beyond Exascale. scale. But Steve had a comment where he said, it's very unlikely that we will be able to reach Zeta scale computing 10 to the 21st using today's conventional CMOS technology. So he's referring to processors in general, processing elements in general, as we have the microprocessors or GPU accelerators, even FPGAs. And he's looking ahead to other things like carbon nanotubes or quantum computing or whatever the next thing is. He's saying that uh, something like that is going to be necessary to get us to Zeta scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and near term, it's really been this convergence of analytics and simulation along with traditional modeling that has, has been the extender. And, and that's another thing that Steve Scott said, that, that this convergence is likely to be, he said, uh, at least A, but likely the central thrust for, for getting improved performance and capabilities in this time of um, the slowing uh, CMOS technology. Mike McCoy from Livermore also made the same point when he said that uh, 
that the, the, the computing is slowing. He said Moore's law is slowing down. Denard, Denard's scaling is already in the rearview mirror. So we need to find some way to accelerate time to solution. Uh, and then he said machine learning combined with par partial differential equation simulation could act as a force multiplier to continue this uh, trajectory forward. So I think that that is the, the stopgap measure until we start uh, really getting into the era of these more exotic things like the carbon nanotubes and, and quantum computing, neuromorphic computing, things like that. Well, furthermore, the furthest we can go on the calendar in base 10 is 10 to the 31st, and we can declare October 31st to be uh, 10 Wekaflops Day, I think, is uh, 10 to the 31st. So we've got some time before to sort this out, or, or we can switch to base 11 or base 12 in order to get more holidays onto the calendar after that. Yeah, interesting times. Meanwhile, we're not at Exascale yet, so we'll be able to celebrate Exascale Day for a couple of years to come. And I look forward to circling it on my calendar for next year, as well as circling the upcoming supercomputing conference, which is now just a couple of weeks away. So thanks to both of you, Tiffany and John, for joining me on the podcast this weekend. Thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.